Welcome to On The Bench. I'm Zach Blostein. Today is a big day as I have Chris Nee, the do-it-all star of Nose 24-7 here with me. Um, today's podcast is a continuation of the Ask Me Anything series. Josh went first, I was up next, and now we're taping Chris's today. I think Brendan's going to be recording his much unanticipated AMA later this week. Um, but let's get straight into it. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Zach. You're really bringing the energy this morning. I'm proud of you. Let's go. Um, we're going we're gonna to get straight into the questions. AVF03, what is your take on the new FSU president hire, and who is your favorite AD candidate? Uh, on the president hire, I like the process. I'm glad they went about it the manner they did. I felt like it was actually, you know, not shenanigans. It was an actual process. I think it's a good hire. I don't dance in that realm enough to know, you know, greatly one way or the other. Oh, this guy's just better than that guy. You know, the Harvard guy versus Tulane guy versus UNC guy. But I do think they had three very good candidates to pick from. I thought going into that process at the end there that it would probably end up being the Harvard the individual from Harvard and obviously did. I think it's a good hire, but you know, with those, you don't really know till a couple years down the road. As far as the AD situation, if I was betting money, I'd probably bet on Alfred right now. I think it's an easy transition. He's someone that's done it previously. You know, he has the lay of the land at FSU. My only hope is if it is in fact that, that whoever they hire in place of Alfred for boosters brings the same zeal to that position that he has in his time here. Cause I think that's been a really positive shot in the arm for FSU. Bob Noel wants to know if you will take the AD job if offered and what pay would you need? I'd, I'm not qualified for that job. I wouldn't take it in a million years. Now, would I work for somebody in that kind of position and do stuff there and learn the lay of that land? I'd love to maybe down the road do something like that. But no, I, there's so much that goes into that. So much, you know, handshaking, baby kissing, balancing the books dealing with so many different personalities and so many different realms, so many things that you don't even think about that aren't on the outside, but more on the inside of running an athletic program. Got it. You know, those guys, they earn the paycheck they get. They work their backsides off. Perfect. Um, so we're going to shift it over to recruiting a little bit. 0406 Noel asks, let's talk non top 247 recruits that you thought FSU should offer. Which prospects were you most right about? that turned out to be excellent power five players and which ones were you most wrong about? Never did anything of, of consequence. Um, well, you know, I truthfully don't remember rankings all that well long-term. I know a guy like Sky Moore is somebody that I would jump on the table for back in the day. I think he ended up getting ranked fairly high in the end, but I love Sky Moore. He went to college, had some success early in his career, got banged up. I don't think he finished all that strong. I think he's actually gotten into coaching since. Uh, there was a defensive tackle from Delray back in the day. This is back in my rivals days. So we're probably talking, heck, 08 to 10, somewhere in that ballpark. I think he went to VTech. I thought he was miserably bad in high school, and he actually ended up turning into a guy that had a cup of coffee in the NFL. So that's one I majorly whiffed on. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. So there, there's plenty of those over the years. But, you know, I, I don't obsess with the rankings. Um, I don't think I have since I did them as part of the profession, because I realize it's so much apples and oranges. And I may be in love with this kid from South Florida, but we're comparing him to a player from California who I've maybe never seen or only seen once as compared to the South Florida kid who I've seen 10, 12, 15 times. And there just creates a bias. And you try to balance it by having a lot of voices in the discussion and making it where a lot of people are talking about, but there's a reason there are hits and there are misses. One thing I do like about 24 seven that we've done is, 
we're not scared if we truly believe in a kid of going ahead and doing it, even if nobody else in the industry agrees with it. And I, I've always been a fan of the fact that we're comfortable with that as a company. I don't know that all companies are comfortable, comfortable with that. Staying on the topic of stars, Don Dragon, are there any recruits in the 2022 class that you feel will outplay their star rating? I mean, I love Elijah Pritchett. I think that's well established. Um, you know, I think Elijah is actually a three star right now, if I remember correctly, or is he a low four? Do you know, Zach? Elijah, I think he's a mid, mid four star. Mid four. Okay. So, yeah, but he's a kid I absolutely love. Um, you know, as I said, I don't pay too much mind to the stars. Uh, you know, Ba's a kid who I think if he gets his body right, can be a really, really good player and exceed what he's thought of as right now, but he's got to get that body right and the bigger the body, the tougher it is to forecast how kids going to pan out. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anybody else. You know, I, again, I'm rankings to me for the current classes, 22, 23 are behind because we had a whole year washed out of being able to get out, see kids and doing camps and doing events and having them on university campuses, making sure measurements are correct you know, sizing kids up in person. We've tried to condense a lot of that here in the last three, four months as things have opened back up. And obviously June's going to be a mad rush for that. But I think the rankings are going to see a drastic flip and overturn here between June and February for the 22 class. J-Rod31, which 2022 recruiting target checks all the boxes? Elijah Pritchett. I think he's a left tackle all the way. I think he's an extremely athletic left tackle. Comes from a very good school that's going to feed you more kids if you're able to land a kid of that caliber. I think he solves a lot of issues. I I think he's the best left tackle that FSU's in the game for. New Dynasty Noel, how will you celebrate if EJ Lightsey commits to FSU? Um, I may attempt a cartwheel, which will not go well, but you know, I might I might try to pull it off. I just I love Lightsey's film. It's one of those kids when when this cycle really started getting going and FSU was offering kids in a bunches. I just started sitting down. I usually try to watch at least five to seven plays of every kid they offer on huddle if we have good huddle film. And Lightsey's one of those kids that the first time I watch him, I just love his game. I like linebackers that fly around and hit people, and he's athletic as they come. Tone Capone, four. He asked four questions. I'm taking two of them. Who is your favorite recruit to cover? And what was the best day you have ever spent on the bench? Uh, favorite recruit to cover. I, I really like Derwin a lot. I think very highly of Derwin, obviously insanely talented kid, but he had a great personality from the get-go, easy to talk to, genuine in a lot of ways. Um, really liked him. There's a lot of kids I've covered too who weren't very good football players in the sense of going to major, major schools, but I still appreciate him and liked him, especially – in my time of doing state of Florida stuff at rivals before I came over 24 seven, I dealt with kids of the caliber of the best player in the nation versus a kid who was scratching and clawing for one D one scholarship. So I dealt with a whole spectrum. There were a lot of kids that you get to know in that, who you kind of appreciate and watch what they do. Uh, John Walford's one of those kids. John had a decent amount of offers. I think he was going to Bowling Green before Clawson changed jobs, ended up at wake. He was, if I recall correctly, Clawson's first commitment at Wake, or at least definitely his first quarterback commitment. And it was a big deal. And he he was just – he's a great kid, nice family. He's from Jacksonville, so we had that in common, so we talked about stuff like that. But he's one of those dudes I really like. But from an FSU perspective, I'd probably go with Derwin. What was the second question again? What was your favorite day you've ever spent on the bench? <laughs> oh, I've had a lot. Um, 
I forget the kid from Orange Park, but he came out, committed at the statue, got in a car, and about 15 minutes later, we were told he, he can't be committed. Like, Grandma didn't want him committed. Uh, he ended up at West Virginia, but I can't remember his name. Big defensive lineman. Josh would probably remember offhand. Uh, that's one just because it was such a, you know, there's always that insane rush of, oh, commitment, let's get this done. And then, like, 10 to 15 minutes later, he's in the car, and I'm probably not even outside of Leon County yet. And it's, like, all being retracted. And it wasn't something where we jumped the gun. It was something where he did it without talking to the family. That was back home that he didn't come with. Um, but, I mean, on the bench is always an interesting thing. You know, you have days where Brad Lawing sneaks guys out the side door. You have days where me and you are sitting there and Willie Taggart drives by to never return to the building. Uh, we were talking to – actually, I was talking to Marvin Jones Jr. first time I ever met him, and you were speaking to the young man that's going to Georgia who was his old teammate who's a stud. Um, yeah, that was well, turning. Yeah, there we go, Dallas Turner. And remember, Taggart drove by us, and within the heck, I think 10 to 15 minutes is when the Taggart release came down. Um, And Reggie Grimes was on campus still, right? Isn't that the correct? He was still on campus on an official. Uh, So that obviously was a very interesting day. There's the day where I met Brendan up there, and Jimbo was departing, and it was a different bench. It wasn't a bench by the Moore as much as a bench or by Hauser by where all the sidewalks come together by the practice facility and the football stadium and the baseball stadium. Brendan's sitting there just watching Jimbo's truck as some things are being loaded. Meanwhile, I pull around and then may have followed Jimbo from there to Westcott as that day was progressing. So that was an interesting day as well. So those are a couple that immediately come to mind. Speaking about Jimbo, um, DD Pudge 14, if FSU had beaten Alabama in 2017, would Jimbo Fisher still be the coach now? I don't think so. I, I think the relationships for Jimbo here, specifically his relationship with Andy Miller, the man who controlled the piggy bank to some degree, were so far gone that at some point it was going to come to a head. So while it may have not come immediately to a head and that season may not go sideways and maybe things play out differently, I think Jimbo's frustrations with here weren't going to change. I don't think the system here was going to change. I think Jimbo's departure in the subsequent continued downfall of the program and it going into the you know, situation it's currently in is what's brought about a good amount of change. And one, a couple of those things are, you know, the athletics and the boosters kind of becoming one, the departure from Miller and the hiring of Alford. You know, I I think those kind of things have all been positive gains for FSU. Um, Obviously the departure of Wilcox also plays into that. And I don't think Wilcox and Jimbo were ever going to see eye eye to eye. I don't think there was any respect in Jimbo's heart for Stan Wilcox and don't truthfully really blame him in that situation. Um, so no, I, I don't think that one game is that much of a swing point. Would it have played out in the same exact timeline? Not convinced of that, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, the departure of Jimbo from here because of his frustrations was always going to come because I don't think this place was going to change as he felt it needed to change without basically it being forced to. And it still took, you know, almost three years essentially for those things to come about. Double deuce 22. What incoming freshman do you see contributing slash impacting the most on offense and defense? Offense, I think it can be Destin Hill or Andrew Parchment. They really need a receiver to step up, in my opinion. Um, I'd probably go with Parchment over Hill simply because of the college experience. The body, you know, he's a little more prepared for it. But Hill's a pretty dynamic slot type who can also play on the outside. And I think I think that can be creative with Hill. And I think we have an offensive staff at FSU currently who is going to be good at being creative with players, kind of putting guys in the best position. Defensively, um, 
as far as impact, I'm trying to think of who I I feel like. Like I think there's a good amount of D linemen who are going to be very important players here. But a guy like Josh Farmer is still kind of going through the body transition. You know, he was very good in the spring. And Josh is a kid I'm not going to bet against because he works his backside off. And then obviously Peyton and George on the end and Byron Turner on the end. Very, very important. Jermaine Johnson's the easy answer. But I, I think somebody's asking me more high schoolish type versus guy who's not here yet. So I didn't want to go with Jermaine. Um, I probably Byron Turner, I think body wise might be the one out of those DNs who can maybe do it a little bit earlier than the others. But, you know, sometimes those really skinny guys, they can pick their spots and have effectiveness. Brian, Brian Burns obviously did that as a freshman. And I'm not comparing those guys to Brian Burns because Burns is in the NFL for a reason and was very special, but those guys have a lot of talent. There's very good speed. So I, I think one of those DNs might be, and I, I think some of that is, necessity as much as anything i you know i don't trust the current dn room a whole heck of a lot i think here thomas is going to be worthwhile but i don't think he's a great player i think jermaine can be really good i think Derek mcclendon's a guy who's going to be better than what he is but after that you know equation's not exactly a guy that i'm i'm ready to bet on you know griffiths is a guy who brings what he brings to the table but i don't think it's all that well-rounded and going to be very worthwhile so I think that's a position where they do really need another guy to step up. I think that's why we've seen them in the portal some looking at potential DNs as well as other additions as receivers, offensive linemen, so on and so forth. Gotcha. Um, we we got to talk about basketball. Big drip, no. Will Leonard Hamilton ever win a national title? When it's all said and done, will he have a statue? Uh, I don't think he'll win a national title. I think their best shot of that, truthfully, was two years ago and COVID wiped that out, sadly. Um, it's just so tough to do. I think they're, they've got a program that's very capable of being a 16-8 type consistently, sweet 16, elite 8 type consistently. Um, so I wouldn't bet against it, but I just don't believe that it happens. It's so tough to do. Um, and there's a select few that truly can compete for it consistently. FSC's elevated a great deal, but I don't know if they're yet in that tier. Uh, does he deserve a statue? I'm, I, hell, I think so. I mean, I... I this program stunk when Leonard took it over and beyond what he's done with turning it into a winning program, a consistent program, he's awesome. I, I think it's well-documented how much I think highly of him and his staff. He graduates his guys. They turn into good human beings. They do a lot. He's developed a great deal of NBA guys now. Um, you know, even guys that have had missteps along the way, Malik Beasley in recent years and stuff. They still are so connected to those guys that they still work with us. I just, Leonard is what a coach should be in sports, which is a guy that first and foremost, the job is win. If you don't win, you don't keep your job. It's that simple. But secondly, it's about developing young men, graduating young men, putting them in better situations, putting their family in better situations, putting out good representatives of the school, developing guys to be pros. He does all of those things. And I just, I think that he's worthwhile. You know, I think Hugh Durham probably falls in that category. I think it's worthwhile to make Dave Cowens a more recognizable character around FSU basketball. Sue is definitely in that category because she's built that women's program into something special. So there are parts of FSU basketball, men's and women's, that I think it would be good for FSU to elevate even further because long-term you want the program to be better. And the question when a person comes in sometimes is what's the history of this program? Well, those individuals I just mentioned are a history. And while the banners are nice and naming a court maybe potentially is awesome, there, there's a little bit more I think you can do to kind of elevate some of those individuals. For sure. 
um, Tampa Nose 776. Compare working with Nose 24-7 to War Channel. What are the big differences? Well, one, I'm much more of a grizzled veteran these days than I was back then. That was the first shop for me really ever. I worked for Jim Henry a little bit at Scout way, way back when, when I first got into it. But that was very short-lived, and I moved on to Warchamp pretty quickly. Um, but I, it was all new to me. I, I wasn't a very well-versed rider. You know, working with guys like Jim Lamar and Ira Chevelle did a lot for me in that regard um, because they were, especially Jim, was willing to be kind of like, you know, what you put on paper is not very good. And he was comfortable with telling me that, and it was good for me. It benefited me. Um, you know, I kind of learned the ins and outs of doing it. I was able to get comfortable around programs, different programs at FSU. You know, first time I dipped my beak into recruiting really was like 05, 06, and then I got full-fledged into it there for about eight, nine years, doing it both for War Chant and then for Rivals at State of Florida. So that was all well and good. When I came over here, I, I knew what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, where I wanted to go. And I was able to have that kind of say in it because it was my essentially my shop with the guys that I wanted to be with. And uh, that's the biggest difference is I just I knew like there I was an employee and I'm very happy to have been an employee there. Here I'm the person that's helping to run a website and have the say in what we do and how we do it and have to deal with everything that comes with that. And it's, it's a very different dynamic and I enjoy this much more, but I couldn't do this if not for that. Trey Rowland, you're <laughs> in a buddy cop movie. Um, you have to pick a partner from someone at 247 or the FSUB at large. Which partner makes the best movie and which partner makes the worst movie? His suggestion for the movie title is Neethal Weapon. Brandon would make the worst partner because it would be a lot like the uh, Wahlberg um, buddy cop movie with uh, what's his name from Saturday Night Live, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Need more cowbell. Um, the best partner, I'd probably have to go Josh because, I mean, just the idea of Josh as like a buddy cop, like, come on. Like, Josh yeah. isn't cut out for that. That's not Josh. So he'd probably be a pretty good one. If I had to pick someone outside the family – I enjoy Brett Nevitt a good bit. Me and him got to know each other very well during basketball and baseball this year from Tom Hawk Nation. Does a great job with baseball. Um, I just enjoy him. He's got kind of a similar sense of humor in some ways to me. Uh, he's also, you know, like 15 years younger than me, so he's, he's keeping me young, kind of like you do, Zach. Um, but, yeah, I, I, Buddy Cop movie, I, I don't know if I'd be real well suited for a Buddy Cop movie, but doing it with Josh would be a hell of a lot of fun. I know that. We'd probably get ourselves in some trouble. That would be awesome. Um, so SWL Seminole wants to know, who is your favorite coach to deal with um, in your history at, at Florida State covering it, and who is your least favorite? Uh, least favorite would be Jimbo. Um, I think extremely highly of his ability to coach. I think very lowly of his ability to be a good human being. Um, my favorite coach to cover – uh, it's probably him. I mean, I kind of laid that out pretty well in an earlier answer. I think very highly of him. I truthfully enjoy the opportunities when I just sit in his office with the recorder off and we're just talking about stuff. And truthfully, sometimes he gets in the story time. And I think we forget sometimes Ham's a 70 year old black man from the South who's gone through a hell of a lot and knocked down a lot of doors and done a lot of things. And sometimes just sitting and listening to the man is extremely enlightening and enjoyable. And it's not anything about hoops. It's just, you know, I live this, here you go. And it's not him lecturing or anything of that sort. It's just him telling a story and it's enjoyable. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Mike Martin Sr. I mean, 11 was fun. 11 is the kind of guy that if you bring your kids, I know I brought uh, my oldest around when I first had him because sometimes I just didn't have a babysitter at one in the afternoon. So, you know, he'd come with me to Hauser if we had to interview uh, 11. And Wayne McGahee, I know, is another person that's done that. I think Jim Henry back in the day did that with Brian, and Brian, of course, ended up playing there. 11 is just like a grandpa. He, he takes your kid and just kind of runs away with him, and it's just kind of funny and I always enjoyed 11, good guy to talk to. But, you know, most of the coaches here, especially current coaches here, very, very enjoyable to talk to. I enjoy talking to Mike, even though we haven't built that much of a personal relationship because we've lived on Zoom with one another during most of his time here. Um, you know, a lot of the Olympic sports types like Lonnie and me for baseball and then, you know, Trey for men's golf, they're all enjoyable to talk to. They're they're easy to talk to. FSU hires good coaches. Um, I think the success that they have in so many sports speaks to that. Um, and usually that translates to the type of people. Jimbo is just so hardwired to be such a football coach. Plus so many things went on here that turned him ill and bitter towards the media that there was not that Jimbo early years from when he was an assistant to basically prior to the national title, very enjoyable post-national title Jimbo was miserable and by the end it was awful so that's why he fell into that other category for me but I I enjoy just speaking with coaches you know getting to know them kind of getting to know how they work coaches tick differently usually and a lot of times the way they tick is why they either have success or failure in the sports head coach Destin Knoll favorite Brennan Sinone panicking story (laughs) the window leaking in the car on the way back from the longest Louisville trip in the history of humankind. Um, we're in my old, I had an old big body Tahoe and the window just randomly started leaking when we were stuck in traffic. I think we were in Tennessee, maybe near Chattanooga, if I remember correctly, listening to, I want to say dolphins Patriots game on the radio. He's hung over as hell because he had done it the wrong way while we we're in Kentucky. And uh, the window just randomly, the front window from the sail at the top of the car just started leaking. Never had done it in the history of that car. Truthfully, it never did it after. I put some epoxy in to make sure it would never happen after. But it never done it. Just starts leaking on him. He's freaking out because he's trapped in a box on a highway, not moving in a pouring rainstorm with me driving, which already makes him skittish. And it just he's freaking out. But he does that a lot. I mean, Brendan's, Brendan's a, literally the nervous version of me. That can't just like he doesn't just turn it off and walk away. Like my thing is when I'm getting to that point, I just like I shut everything off and walk away or go for a swim or, you know, the kids may drag me away to do something too. things like that. Most times, Um, I think also having done this for so long and been married for so long plays into that because my wife will kind of call me on it when it's happening. Brendan, I still feel is he's getting better, but he's still sort of newish to some of this that comes with internet sports coverage um the 24 7 tick of it all that like there's times where it's just like he's um combustible is probably a good word to use so but the the leaking car because it had nothing to do with work it was just solely him trapped in a seat with a seat belt locked in traffic with water dripping on him and i think he was worried that like the car was going to fill with water and we were going to drown in the middle of tennessee on the highway that's awesome um on that same note, Sunday Gold wants to know if you think you can make Sinone break down and cry, or have you already done it? I don't think I've done it. He can chime in if he wants. I know he's out there listening. I don't think I've done it. I think I definitely could do it, though. 
a lot of people want to know, you know, stuff about Sinone. So TB3Golf714, would you rather spend every day of your life with Sinone or work for Willie Taggart for the rest of your life? Sinone. I don't even wow. have to think twice about that. You can ask me that 15 times, and 15 times the answer is going to be Sinone. Sinone's at least organized and like has an intention on accomplishing something each time he sets out to do it. may not happen, but that's a goal in the end. The other guy, not so much. Do something. Um, so going to give Brendan some love. Uh, he has a mid-show um, question. Can Chris explain his Kane Madden crystal ball and how much did – Brendan's crystal ball factored into his decision to drop the ball. Uh, nobody's crystal ball factored into it. I'm just never in a rush to do crystal balls. Um, or I do them very secretly at like 12.01 a.m. when nobody's looking and it's for a kid to go to LSU. Um, Kane Madden just, you know, it's one of those, like, I'll put it this way, and it's probably been said, I haven't listened to the other AMAs and whatnot, but it's probably been said, like if FSU doesn't get Kane Madden, it's not going to look particularly good for them because they have gone all out to do it. I certainly think he's coming here. You know, the early June visit, I think that's going to help solidify their chances and hopefully put an end to that recruitment around that time. I, I just feel confident about it. Um, there's a couple other kids on, on the verge of crystal balling, not necessarily to FSU. You know, Jaden Gibson to Florida is one I'm kind of tossing around I might do. Um, you know, i I've thought about putting one in for Dalen Everett to UNC, but I think that's a pretty close race with Clemson, so I've been a little hesitant to enter it. I, I Crystal balls for me are weird. I kind of tend to do them in bunches. Uh, sometimes I'm first. Sometimes I'm last. Um, very rarely I'm in, am I in the middle. It's usually one or the other. I'm not scared of being in front for a guy, especially sometimes where I just think it's going to trend this way in the end, not necessarily that's there. And then there's sometimes where I'm just like, I'm going to wait till I feel extremely confident that that is where that kid's going. And I think that's why there's the first, first CN type of thing for me. But the crystal ball is a weird deal. I, I, I obviously care a great deal about my percentage. I think my history, what it proves that I think I'm around 90% for a career with that. And that's by intention. But I, I'm not one of these who feels the need to have 100 of them entered. And I'm not one of these that feels the need that I have to have one entered for every FSU target. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The deer and shoot. What was your first impression of Josh Newberg when you first started working together? Well, I knew Josh well before we started working together. I'm trying to remember the first time I ever met Josh, and I truthfully cannot remember off the top of my head. I know one of the first times I really worked around him was him and Fish helped run an event in Tampa. Dante was at it. Nelson Aguilar was at it. Several of those type guys and spent a lot of time with him there. Um, but I knew Jamie before I knew Josh. Jamie is Josh's cousin, Jamie Newberg, longtime guy in this business who's no longer in it now. And uh, it's so the thing that's always kind of stuck out to me is Jamie and Josh in some ways are very similar, but in so many ways they're extremely different. Jamie's kind of, you know, clean cut, straight ahead, or at least that's how he always came off in a working environment. And Josh, I think I know a little bit more personally, so I've kind of always known his ways and whatnot. And obviously he's tempered down and calmed down as we've gotten older. But, you know, Josh used to meet me and Caressa out in St. Pete once in a while on a, I think it's first street down there by the trop that's kind of come to life and have a few and whatnot. So I know that version of Josh. First time I ever worked with him though, was really over here at 24 seven. I knew what I was getting in with him. The, the thing with Josh is that he's an information gatherer. He, you know, I, I kind of view myself as a guy who, organizes a lot of stuff and obviously has a little OCD in that regard, which you guys enjoyed poking fun at me with. And Josh is more the, this is what's in front of me. I need to go get information on. That. I need to do that. He's you, you point to something for Josh and he'll go there and he'll do it and he'll get everything you need in the in-between. I'm just different. We're wired differently. I think it's why we actually work very well together because I think we balance each other out fairly well where I'm kind of anal retentive and OCD and Josh is a little more loosey goosey but extremely pinpointed, directed towards something. His way of going about getting information is a lot of coaches, uh, people that work in the in-between with recruits, for example, you know, guys that kind of help, you know, guys who are JUCOs going to the next level, those types. He has a lot of those people. I'm more high school coaches, kids, a lot of stuff. You've really gotten into Zach and kind of alleviated from me having to do, allowing me to focus a little bit more on hoops, baseball, and other stuff. Um but that's more how I was. So for me and Josh, it was always good because we didn't attack something from the same direction. And I think that was beneficial for us because in this business, sometimes you're getting bullshitted and you're getting told something by a kid and it's just not true. It's going to play out the other way. But if you're talking to the kid, the person that drives the kid somewhere, the coach that deals with the kid, both in his high school level and the college level, as well as coaches at other schools recruiting the same kid, and maybe somebody else who just knows something about that recruitment because they're involved with either the kid, the kid's school, or the colleges recruiting them. When you talk to that many parties, at some point it paints a clearer picture. I think that's allowed us to do the job very effectively. So, And I knew Josh was that way because Josh came from the scouting community and came from doing that, working with Fish and doing some of that other stuff and obviously having a knowledge of this business because of their family ties to it. I came more from the running a website, getting it on the front page, uh, pursuing a kid by going to events and talking to them, things like that. And we smacked that together. I think it worked very well. It's definitely working well now. Iowa 01, 
what is your favorite sport to cover? And we're going to leave football and basketball out of this. Uh, well, if you're taking those two away from me, I'd probably have to go with baseball. I enjoy the game of baseball, even though it can be madly boring or frustrating at times. But I mean, I, you know, some of my earliest memories of being around FSU athletics is going to Hauser and going to games. And when I got out, how you got out here being around the animals and, you know, stuff like that and still being friends with a great deal of animals and around them regularly these days. So it'd probably be baseball for me, but I, I, you know, I enjoy watching. I'm not a golfer. I stink at golf. Um, I don't get a lot of the nuances of golf, but I love watching golf. So I enjoy watching the men's and women's golf team, especially the men's team when I'm able to get out. I enjoyed that a week or so ago. Um, you know, I'll drop into the tennis facility once in a blue moon and watch a match or two. Softball is a regular. My wife's a pretty big fan of softball, so we've always enjoyed going to a great deal of that. I think Lonnie does a great job with that program. You know, beach volleyball is one that I've enjoyed watching as that's become more prominent at FSU. Um, so I'm kind of one of these. I, I enjoy it all. I'm not – I'm not – I, there's not really a sport I don't enjoy. I enjoy going to women's hoops. I think the world of Sue, I think she's done a phenomenal job with that program. Um, you know, I think highly of Brooke, who I think has a great chance of being the next head coach here, especially after last year's test run. But uh, baseball's probably the one for me. I just, I enjoy the game of baseball. Grew up watching Braves with being in Florida and TBS back in the day, showing games. And I was an A's and Cardinals fan as a kid because of Mark McGuire. That's why I'm still a Cardinals fan. Um, and then all my family's from Boston. So I obviously grew up watching boatload of Red Sox games and hating the Yankees. So, you know, baseball has kind of always been one of those things. I've enjoyed FSU baseball a great deal. My early days of FSU baseball were some of those big bopping lineups with, you know, Jeremy Morris and JD. And, you know, I remember Jeremy Salazar and, uh, you know, JFG and Marshall McDougal and those guys. And then obviously throughout the two decades, I've been around it either as a student or covering it professionally. I've covered a ton of guys, Buster being one of the greatest, you know, Taylor Walsh, who just got the call up, Luke Weaver, who's with the D-backs and on the IL right now, DJ, who's with the Orioles, and all the in-between there, too. And I've just I, – I, I enjoy it. I there, There's something about Hauser on a hot May, June day, especially in a regional, when it's loud, it's packed, it's a pressure cooker on the other team. Like one of my favorite series I ever covered was Wichita State. I think it was a super regional. And Holt was on the team back then. And Holt, Holt was the, the bulldog, the guy who was the, the guy that your your team loved and your fans loved. But I'm pretty confident the other team and the other fans hated his ass. Just did not like the guy, detested him. And Holt kind of – that was one of those series where it got testy. It was hot as hell that weekend. And Holt kind of was the one who led the charge for FSU. And it was just – it was awesome. And it it's really, really cool. And when that team wins there and they're getting ready to go Omaha, there's nothing that compares to that. I mean, football winning and ending up in national title is, is obviously immensely great, but very rarely does that happen on home field. Usually there's still an ACC championship or you got to wait for rankings, yada, and so on. With hoops, you know, you, you get into the tournament. That's cool. You can kind of lock that up at home. And, you know, the BC game a couple of years ago when we hung the banner at home, great basketball moment. But still, you got to go play in the NCAA tournament. you got the ACC tournament before. With baseball, you can win a Super Regional at home, and you know you're going to Omaha. And there's something about that moment that is uniquely special in sports and college athletics I just I find awesome. And Omaha, for anyone who's never been, it's well worth the trip, especially if your team's there. But even if your team isn't there, it's still a heck of a lot of fun. 
Farmer Knoll 24 wants to know, with the amounts, with the massive amount of all sport coverage and content you put out, how do you find that balance between work and life? Um, well, I mean, some of it overlaps. You know, my wife and my kids go to baseball. So me being at baseball isn't an issue. Um, once in a blue moon, I'll miss a baseball game of one of my boys because I'm covering something at Hauser. But luckily, I've got a great wife who's very comfortable with that. I've got my parents in town who help with that. So there's a way for us to balance that. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it just comes down to you have to understand you do it. I I go back to Jamie Newberg. Jamie Newberg, very early in the time I got to know him, basically told me, don't let the job swallow up your life. Um, and it took me years to kind of figure out how to balance the two. But I think around the time we had our second son, which was 2012, it became abundantly clear to me that I had to balance the two. Part of the reason I walked away from doing the state of Florida stuff for rivals, and there were a multitude of reasons, but one of the primary ones beyond the fact that 24-7 was very uh, welcoming and felt like a place I could go and something I could do was I realized I couldn't live on the road like I did for two, three years at the end there at Rivals where I did travel a ton. I drove 25 to 40,000 miles in a year, driving around the state, going to every high school I could think of, seeing every kid I could think of, going to every event I could think of. And I realized I can't keep doing that. I got two kids at home. It's unfair to my wife. Um, it's truthfully unfair to me to some degree in the sense where it was just going to grind me down and spit me out. Like Chad Simmons did that for so long at Rivals. It blew my mind that he was so good at it because he did it constantly and he was knee deep in it constantly. And I, you know, I saw Chad most recently at the MVP camp at Lounge. And I even said that to him that blew my mind that he was still doing it like he did it so many years ago, still now. And Chad's one of those guys that does a phenomenal job at balancing his life. He's, you know, good with his family, kids, very important when, with church. Uh, you know, he's close with his older family. His father passed not too long ago, but, you know, stuff like that. But it's a very, very tough balance. It's a tough thing to do. Um, but I think the best thing for me is that my wife, when we dated, she got it. She's also a sports fan, so that obviously helps. She doesn't have disdain for sports. I think if you're married to someone who hates sports, you're probably not going to keep this job or keep your marriage. But she likes sports. But she also understood what this job demanded in the sense of once in a blue moon, we might be sitting at the dinner table. I might get a text. And I just have to I have to go in the office. I got to go work for 45 minutes. I got to get somebody on the phone. I got to write this. This is coming about. It just happened. Sorry. She gets that. And I think that's probably the thing that helps the most. But ultimately, uh, she, she balances me out. She does a great job of, you know, kind of get me in check when I need to be in check, which is a good thing. I don't enjoy it in the moment. But I realize it's something I very much need. Um, and my kids, especially my older son, really like sports. And the younger one enjoys going to him. He's just not as engaged in them. The older one is kind of a competitive sports junkie. He loves playing baseball, enjoys playing hoops. He loves sports. The younger one just kind of likes hanging out. But it works. And, you know, they go a lot of stuff with me. And when school's not conflicting, they'll go on the road with me once in a while for – baseball or basketball tournament hopefully in the coming years they can make it to with me obviously this year didn't work out with it being an indie um and football is one of those things where they it's kind of a family affair most of the time so I, that's a really long-winded answer i think the thing is because they're willing to be involved in it with me while also understanding what i do it allows me to do it but i also understand sometimes i got to put all that aside and just focus on them and it's kind of a give and a take 
That was a great, great explanation. And, and we're going to finish off with Seattle Alderman asking, what is your favorite story slash memory from your time of covering FSU in an official capacity? Um, my favorite story. I mean, the, the 13th season was obviously special. Um, covering Bowden's last year was, well, I felt like it was needed to come at that point. It was still, you're covering the end of a legend and one of the best to ever do it. And one, a guy who basically built the program you cover. So you got to take an appreciation in it. Um, trying to think of like a singular moment. I mean, the, the banner hanging in the Tucker center at the end of regular season, two years ago, how good that team was. That was pretty special because I'm a guy who loves hoops. I went here for a lot of hoop games when I was a kid with my brother. And we were dreadfully bad in the late 90s when we would come. So kind of seeing it grow to there and knowing that, like, this isn't a blip. This isn't a, oh, my God, how did they do this? This is what it has grown to be was something that I enjoyed. Uh, that 08 baseball team that went to Omaha with Posey when Posey just got on a crazy tear down the stretch of that year, watching his last year here, that was a pretty special year to cover. Um, Martin's last year with the fact that team was dreadful in the middle of the year and then ended up in Omaha, uh, which is kind of interesting because they were so bad in the middle of the season. And then they end up, you know, they go to LSU and that whole thing comes together after the weekend at Georgia, that seemed like it was just out of your mind, like how good they were for a weekend with how bad they had been during the season. So that was interesting football, obviously 13 and even the bad moments, you know, James investigation, the departure of Jimbo, the failure of Willie Taggart era, even those negative things, I, I still enjoy covering them. They may be taxing and at some point get aggravating and God knows the James investigation situation got aggravating because how many people parachuted in and all that, but there's still something about covering it, being knee deep in it, doing it on a daily basis that I enjoyed. Um, even if I didn't particularly enjoy the subject matter I was having to deal with or the coverage I was having to deal with or the the rumor versus the truth or the, you know, what's being written by somebody that parachuted in for a week about something that's happened over the last several years. I still enjoy doing the job. Like I, I, I this is my profession. This is what I chose to do. And I realized early in doing it at War Chant, probably 056 that this is what I wanted to do. I had dabbled in banking after graduating, thinking, oh, that's better money. It's more sustainable. It's nine to five-ish. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoy this. Um, so good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. I enjoy doing it. Um, I certainly enjoy covering when it's success for FSU because it's much easier to deal with a fan base who's happy than one who's you know cantankerous and pissed off. Yeah, those are definitely... Some great memories in FSU history, but um, that's going to do it. Thank you, Christopher, for playing along for your AMA. And thank you all for listening. We'll have another episode this week featuring Mr. Brendan Sanone himself. Stay tuned. CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Oh,
Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island, you got here. Walk to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.